Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. My name is Steve Jones, and today on the program we have a band called We Were Promised Jetpacks. They opened for Tokyo Police Club at the Regency Ballroom in San Francisco, a venue that I've been to a good handful of times this year and had some really good experiences at. I'd never been to the Regency before this year, and I've been there, uh, like I said, a handful of times at this point. And uh, the first, I believe, being Jack's Mannequin, where they played their show, where they played everything in transit from beginning to end um, at, at the Regency. So that was a really excellent show to uh, to kind of break my Regency virginity at. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, and then I, I know I also went to the David Bowie celebration show uh, there, which was led by Gary Oldman and a number of other amazing artists. Talk about that a little bit in the uh, interview that we have with uh, We Were Promised Jetpacks. So uh, We Were Promised Jetpacks has been around for uh, over a decade, and they're really good friends. They've been they've been friends since they were kids. We'll, we'll get to talk to them about that uh, as well. Let you know how you can follow us, get a hold of us, um, and uh, support the show. Obviously, subscribing to the podcast is a must. I mean, that's got to happen. Rule one. So go to iTunes, uh, hit the subscribe button, and uh, leave us comments, feedback, and um, and support the podcast that way. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope at Concert Pipeline, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Concert Pipeline Pod, where we show a video from the, uh, from the concerts uh, as well as um, give you lots of updates as far as what's happening in con- the world of Concert Pipeline. So all the plugs out of the way. This was a really cool show. It was uh, a lot of fun, and... Uh, I had, like I do, I, I listened to the band um, extensively leading up to the interview and uh, really was getting into them. I like their style. I like their feel and um, and what they were bringing. And so um, it was uh, an opportunity for me to go out and see a band. I um, hadn't listened to that much, but had heard of uh, along the way. Um it was also an opportunity for I get for me to work with a publicist that I'd worked with a number of other times. Um, uh, her name is Caroline, and uh, she's given us bands such as Sylvanesso and um, a ton of other bands as well that um, that are a lot of fun. And I always like the bands that she represents, so um, so I knew that, that it would be great to um, to get out and see them in the Regency. Like I said, great venue. So uh, so set up the interview. Interviewed uh, Mike from. Uh, we were promised jetpacks before the show and um, and had a good chat and we're gonna hear that and, and the, the performance that they that they did was really really unique and the, and the crowd was really responsive to it like there was an energy in the silence and I, and what I mean by that you'll hear um, we're gonna the first song we're gonna play from their set it is a uh, is a seven minute song like it's just it's they don't rush it it's it takes its time it gets where it needs to go uh it's a song called it's thunder and it's lightning and there's really quiet parts where you could hear a pin drop in the the venue and usually especially with bands that open shows you're used to people talking and being on their phones and and just not respecting the artist but there wasn't that at this show that didn't happen the uh, crowd was very respectful and 
and part of that moment where the band was vulnerable and uh, and took it to, to places where you don't expect to, the song to go. You don't expect a rock band to have periods of near silence in, in their songs and that where the, and then they build back up to this energy where uh where they they bring the rock and so so it was it was really impactful i i enjoyed it i really love their performance and uh if you get a chance to see uh, we were promised jetpacks definitely definitely do it uh i think it's time we we should just really get right into it because this, like i said this is a, a long uh, song but it's impactful and uh if you want to see the video for this track you can check out again facebook.com forward slash concert pipeline pod uh, this is It's Thunder and It's Lightning. And then we'll have a little chat with We Were Promised Jetpacks. Hi, I'm Mike from We Were Promised Jetpacks, and you're listening to Concert Pipeline. Waiting for my plane to stop 
I am here with Mike Palmer from We Were Promised Jetpacks. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. Now, where, where did you guys come in from? Because I know you're going down south after yeah. the show. Are you working your way down the coast? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> it's one of those already, huh? Where are you? <laughs> we had a travel day, so it wasn't yesterday. So it's not so bad. Oh, good. Okay. It was two days ago. Yeah. It was Portland. Portland, there. So you we've go. come quite a far distance. Yeah. Uh, we had a nice scenic drive. Ben took us the nice way because we had a day, an extra day to do it. We went, uh, yeah, through the Avenue of the Giants today. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, <laughs> so big so when trees. When you get a day off like that, do you get time to get out and explore a little bit? Or? No, usually it's the, nobody uses the word day off. It's called travel day. Travel day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, yeah, we managed to. We had a little bit of time. Our last travel day, we we did a 24-hour drive in two days. We did 14 and then 10. Uh, but this time it was it was less. So but that's not less. a day off. You're right. I'll agree no. with you there. Although it's the highlight of the tour. We get to stay in the van. We get to watch movies. We don't have to do any work in the evening. Yeah. It's perfect. Not bad. Right? You live for the travel days. And yeah, those are the best days. We get a nice meal. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, you guys have been around now for over a decade. You got together back in 2003. Uh, yeah, I think it was actually four. Was it? Okay, <laughs> yeah, 2004. It was like Wikipedia <laughs> will lie to you. No, that was our fault. We did about three years worth of interviews, like because obviously we didn't start. Like that was just yeah. You know, our first tour was like 2009 or so, uh, and then we were like, oh, since 2003, yeah, something um, like that. Yeah. And then we kind of realized, oh, maybe it was four. This, this is written in stone now. <laughs> yeah. Someone's got to oh, change that. We, uh, yeah. We can cite this and change Wikipedia or something like that. <laughs> Isn't that how it works? I don't know. I think so. Uh, <laughs> anyway. But uh, a long time ago, anyway. Uh, yeah, it's high school battle of the bands. And most high school bands don't last too, you know, too long, and especially over no. a decade later, right? So what's the recipe for you guys? Well, even when we were a high school band, we had still been friends for ages. Okay. Like, uh, me and Adam went to primary school, so don't know what the equivalent is but since first grade I'd guess yeah I'd guess that's the same time wow. since you're like five or something um, and then again uh, Sean and Peter and uh, were the same thing at a different primary school so like we'd had that yeah. so it wasn't like you know even at high school it wasn't like oh here's a bunch of new people this probably won't work we were just pals to begin with yeah um, yeah yeah. Did you, uh, did you? Were you guys always really close to, uh, together, or did you have times where you're like, okay, I got, I got to get away from this guy for a little bit? No, we're pretty close. We're pretty, pretty. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a kind of family setup rather than a colleagues yeah. <laughs> setup. Uh, yeah, we all hang out together when we get off tour as well. It's pretty weird. Yeah, <laughs> and so your uh, f uh, first album was These Four Walls, like you said, 2009 was when you kind of created it. Tell me a little bit about the process that went into that. Yeah, that was, like, the, the, the whole cliche of you have your whole life to write for some. We we didn't really do that. We th Those were, like, we didn't have a big grand album plan. We were just playing shows twice a month in Glasgow. And once you've played your first one of the month, you don't want to do the same set the yeah. second time. So we're just constantly writing stuff, constantly writing stuff, constantly throwing away songs. We must have had like 40 songs we just smashed through, played once. But ah, it wasn't so good. Another one. Rather than, maybe we should work on the one thing that wasn't good about it. We're like, nah, nah, no good, next. Um, so the first album, which was, a th I can't remember when we recorded it, sometime in 2009, it had been like about a year, about a year's worth of songs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it wasn't. It, it felt very of that time, uh, 
for us it didn't really feel like yeah it, it feels like that year yeah, <laughs> to yeah. us rather than like oh our first album it feels like well that was the album we did when we were 20 or however old we were um, yeah and we recorded it all live which we then regretted when <laughs> we came to try and mix it uh, so it was a bit of a stress and when it came out it was like oh this is finally out like can we let's just move on and do something else. but then it kind of yeah is, I think it's probably been our most successful thing but I guess most bands first albums are yeah yeah. You know. that's what people brings people in and a lot of people kind of really clinch onto that and, um, and stick to it so um, so uh, that first album being uh, so successful you said you have some like regrets uh, about it though I mean what what would you change if you could go back we, we recorded differently we went in we were very naive obviously uh, we went in and the guy uh, Ken Thomas who was producing he wasn't there it was his son that was engineering who was great and we'd gone really well with him but we, he was like oh so you're a good live band should we do it live and we went eh you know <laughs> <laughs> at that point it was your no. first album right and you hadn't been in other bands like exactly bands come and we'd also just be, like spent some time demoing in the studio with Paul Savage who went on to record a third album with and they didn't come out well at all because we didn't again didn't know what we wanted well like, let's record it whatever and then it didn't quite turn out it came out a little flat which is 100% our fault he's a fantastic engineer it came out a little flat so we were like oh it was flat let's just do it live fuck it um, and then we did it all in the room together, like everything was bleeding into each other, there was no isolation between mics, and then it sounded pretty great in the room, and we're like, here we go, and then yeah, came to try and mix it, and we're like, oh, can we get this up? And then, oh, not really, because it's all bleeding, yeah, it was like, if you want that louder, it should be louder in the room, and we're like, oh, okay, well, we've got a day left, yeah. and that needs to be louder, so what do we do? And then it turns out we just do the best we can and send it to uh, Peter K is to do his best, <laughs> and yeah. then again when we sent it to him to mix, he had he was he had another band in the studio with him, so he would work all day with his other band and then get to his precious evening and then have to mix a song of ours, and then we had it was an eleven song album when he got to do like six of them or seven, that was it. We had to pick seven songs for him to mix. It was like oh so stressful. Um, how do you do it? Uh, I don't know how we did. <laughs> uh, I don't know. There was a couple of like songs on the album that suited a bit more lo-fi thing, so we could oh leave that one, leave that one. This is quite lush. Do that one, please. Yeah. Uh, this is probably going to be a single. Do that one, please. This is the first song on the album. Please do that one. Um, and he he did a like I, I still think it sounds fine, but he did an incredible job to get it to fine. Like a, an amazing job. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously we go back. I don't know. if I think we would change back. That we go back and change that. It seems. I don't know, maybe we wouldn't, I don't know, I yeah. don't know if we care anymore. Well, so, on Unraveling, you actually got, uh, that's like the first time you guys got to go in and spend more time with the songs and recreate yeah. them a little bit, right? So Like we, like I said before, we didn't, we would have a song and we go, this doesn't quite work. Yeah. And we go, well, let's fix it instead of scrapping Inst it because yeah. we've only got a certain amount of time to write songs and a better one might not come along. And that was really interesting, yeah, just playing with things we hadn't really thought of before. Like, when we made the second album, that was, we were going in with this attitude of fixing what we didn't like about the first. Yeah. So it was very insular, and it was like, this is how it is, because we know what we're doing now. Uh, so when it came to the third, and we did pre-production, and Paul Savage, who produced it, was like, you know it's just the same chord when you go into the chorus, right? And we're like, ah. Oh. That's why it doesn't feel so good. It was like, maybe if you just change the chord, and then, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, right. It was quite funny. Uh, 
approaching songs like that, which we've never done. We'd always gone on instinct. Um, yeah, so I don't know, maybe that, I don't know if that helped or hindered the album, but it, it felt different, which is what we wanted. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And, and so you guys like also like to write together, which is yeah. not what every band does. You know, sometimes they sh- send stuff back and forth, that sort of thing, but you all kind of get in the same space in, when you write, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Adam will bring in like a skeleton, usually his verse part, and normally not even a melody, just his verse part, and then he plays it, and then we all just jam it, and that sets a tone. And then once we've set a tone, we can then like work together on changing it or keeping it <laughs> yeah how long do the sessions usually last like do, is it like uh, you know you, you stick it out for eight hours and then you uh yeah come back to it the next day or do you need to put some time in between the time in between is really really helpful it's yeah. Yeah, it's required there's sometimes where we just have to do you know two days in a row yeah and then the things you do on the second day are very rarely better than the first whereas if you do like a day a gap a day this the second day will be much better i don't know how that i don't know why that is it just is um yeah and usually that's like it, it can take a sometimes it's just done sometimes it takes months and months and months and months um we just did some new demos that weren't like i think we were just gonna scrap them all <laughs> and that that took months and months and then in the converse in the in the meeting like the practice where we were like maybe we should scrap all these uh we were all really 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 sad and then just started jamming a thing for 45 minutes because we were really sad. And then the next practice, we like shaped it. And then the third one, we wrote it, and then we were playing it. <laughs> so yeah. it was like three, three days of stuff, which is always the nice stories. The not so nice stories are yeah. six months of three times a week changing tiny little bits. Yeah. And so when you when you guys got signed initially to uh, Fat Cat Records, tell me a little bit about that decision and the process. And like, did you? I mean, obviously, it's a one you always want want to make together, right? Yeah, we uh, things first started like taking off. That's a, such a terrible cliche. I wish I hadn't said it, but it's there now. Um, as a band, when we did a one-off show with Fat Rabbit, we yeah. made a demo. Uh, and we gave them it for free at that show, and then I think we were maybe good. People remembered us, and then I think Fran about themselves seen it, like watched us and liked it, and then they kind of championed our cause a little bit. So we then did a tour with them before we'd even signed to Fat Cat because they were on Fat Cat at the time. Yeah, they just told the label about us. The label liked it. They already had the Twilight Sad. They had those two Scottish bands. They liked having those two Scottish bands. I think they fancied another, uh, and then. It's, it was all of a kind of long, natural... It wasn't like one day there was an offer and the next day we signed it. It was like a... We knew we liked that label, we knew we liked all the other bands in it, especially with their history of Sigur and Animal Collective and all that stuff. Um, and it kind of slowly built. They put us on a tour without a deal. They put us into the studio to demo without a deal and then it was all very relaxed and we liked that. We liked the... We like when people in the industry are people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so I mean, obviously, we've been talking about the challenges and um, kind of the learning periods for uh, uh, going in and recording these albums. Do you feel that being signed to a label, you get that freedom to, to I guess, ride with the training wheels on a little bit? Yeah. And and uh, and learn from mistakes. Yeah, and there's a. It was more just there was a sense of purpose to it that wasn't there before, because now we have an album to make yeah. uh, and there's going to be one coming out and again we, back when we were writing we weren't writing songs for an album we were just writing tunes and then they happened to be the ones that we had when we got the deal um, but once we had that it was just like oh now there's a purpose for everything it doesn't feel stupid to 
play to like nobody you know yeah and or the same 10 friends that we always brought that time because we were playing far too often and then really if you know felt like it had a purpose which helped yeah and so the audience what 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 sort of locations um are, are your favorite to play and tell me about the differences in the audiences here in america versus uh, overseas um we like the big cities it's kind of boring but it's it's just a, it's a numbers game more people live in the big cities and yeah. the percentage of people that I've heard and like our band is small so when we go to a really beautiful small town that's a small percentage like that's the same percentage but it's a small number of people um, so when we go to New York it can be a thousand which is not a lot not a large group of people in New York but it's big for us um, so yeah the big cities are always the best ones um, but difference of crowds is something we used to notice a lot but I think these days it's Every just every crowd's different yeah. every night, no matter what. There's, there's such a like balancing act on what makes a crowd react to things. Um, you know, just the time of day, how yeah. drunk people are. If one person shouts at the front and they like them, they'll join in. If one person shouts at the front and they don't like them, they'll rally against them and be quiet. Like it's it's such a weird thing to predict. Yeah. Um, but it's equally weird to predict all across. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and on this particular tour, having it's a support show. We're not playing to our fans, uh, so that adds a little bit more predictability because we know a certain percentage haven't heard our music before and they tend to react. You got to win certain, them over. Yeah, exactly. And we like that challenge. Um, that's fun. So that's a predictable way that people will react, and we like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas our headline shows people. Again, could be diehard fans. They could be there because they like one song. They could be there because they're trying to have sex with a girl they're with. Like, could it's, be anything. It's weird. <laughs> you guys are a part of that, though. So <laughs> make it happen, right? Well, normally not. No. Even normally. Do you yeah. hear about those connections? You're like, I, you know, I no, no, this girl because you guys. Thanks. Uh, not <laughs> really. We get a lot of the opposite. We got a lot of you helped us through a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Thanks. Well, we're glad to help. Yeah. Hear, hear how we can be. Yeah. <laughs> glad you like the music. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what venues have you played here in San Francisco? Have you been here to the regions? Never. You've been here before. We're really excited about it. We've done bimbles a lot. Bimbles is nice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm the worst guy exactly. with the names of yeah, the venues. Okay. Like, uh, uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really bad. There's a couple in this run. I'm like, oh, you've been there before. Yeah. And then Peter, drummer, who's the best for this, goes, no, no, different city. Same. Oh, okay. looks familiar. But sure. Like, it's oh, a different it's, film. Or it's called that. Yeah, it's, it's called. All oh, right. Name, yeah. Um. But we've been here a bunch, and we like this city a lot. It, yeah. This is one of the ones we like. Yeah. I, before this year, I hadn't. I've never been to the Regency here actually, and I've been to a bunch of shows this year here, and saw the the coolest uh, David Bowie tribute with like seventy uh, performers all doing like thirty five songs uh, of of his. It was an amazing night, led by Gary Oldman. Um, so I interviewed Gary Oldman, one of David Bowie's band <laughs> former band members, also keyboards for talking heads i mean it was an incredible like evening in this i mean just such a great venue to to play so there's um a lot of kind of energy here well so. that's good yeah yeah that, that'll help so i'm wishing you guys luck on, uh, on Thank your set you. tonight. yeah hopefully <laughs> lots of bad news of relationships waking up and you know people not doing well yeah hopefully it's nice <laughs> yeah someone come by after the show and, <laughs> and say hey you know, yeah. th thanks for for starting something because yeah some exactly that, right? yeah Awesome. Well, uh, they were promised jetpacks. Thanks for taking the time, Mike. I of appreciate course. it. And good luck on the rest of the tour. I know you got to work your way across the country. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, we've got a lot to go. <laughs> yeah. But, it, yeah. but it's, uh, you know, all gearing up to those driving days, right? Exactly. It's what we can all look forward to. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I there felt we like go. we were leading up to a handshake, yeah. but then I realized we're it was pretty audio. <laughs> that was the interview with We Were Promised Jetpacks. Thank you guys for taking the time to do the interview at the Regency Ballroom. Really great chat with you. Um, I really want to play another song from We Were Promised Jetpacks before we move forward in the podcast and get into music news. Uh, Really, again, impactful performance, inspirational, a lot of energy in that room, and it was... It was exciting. I, I really enjoyed it. And so the the next song that we're going to listen to is called Quiet Little Voices. And as I mentioned, there were some quiet little voices in, in the performance. So uh, here it is.
those quiet little voices from We Were Promised Jetpacks. Now, the next segment we have on Concert Pipeline is one where we talk a little bit about music news. Here it is. These stories are borrowed from antimusic.com forward slash day in rock. Uh, some big stories now. We've been talking about Black Sabbath and uh, how they're winding out their uh, their, uh, their career, really. Um, it's going to take a while, but, it, but it's happening in, progressively. And they've been doing it with a band called Rival Sons that we had on the podcast uh, just a few months ago. Um, but uh, but they're they're working their way to the end and and along the lines of Black Sabbath working their way to the end uh, n- let me just take a second to mention who we have on the podcast next week we have a band called Mac Sabbath uh, that is uh, a, a food themed band that covers Black Sabbath the- uh, tunes to uh, with food lyrics and it's an interesting experience it's more of an experience really than a, a normal band you have to see it and and we'll include visuals as well with uh of course with that interview um i interviewed the uh the manager for max sabbath because the the band doesn't actually do any interviews they just leave it all uh on the stage and uh yeah we'll talk more about that next week but but back to black sabbath uh they announced their very last concert they'll perform a fa- pair of farewell shows in their hometown of Birmingham in early 2017. Uh, so uh, eight-show trek will start January 20th in Dublin, finish with two shows in Birmingham in February 2nd and 4th. It started with nearly five decades ago with a crack of thunder, a distant bell ringing, and then that monstrous rift that shook the earth. The heaviest rock sound ever heard, said the group. In that moment, heavy metal was born. And uh, created by a young band from Birmingham, England, barely out of their teens. Now it ends, the final eight shows ever by the greatest metal band of all time, Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne, <sighs> Tony Iommi, <sighs> and Geezer Butler return home to close the final chapter in a volume of the incredible Black Sabbath story. Um, and so uh, you want to be at the very last show, you can go see them in England, but uh, I think they have one more Bay Area show in, like, October with Rival Sons. Um, uh, they'll be playing in San Jose, I believe, so uh, you can still have a chance to see Black Sabbath in the Bay. Um, Eric Clapton is living in pain from peripheral uh, neuropathy. He says he's been living in pain for the past year. Uh, the guitar icon uh, reveals in a new interview with Classic Rock that he's been diagnosed with uh, peripheral neuropathy, a condition that can result in muscle weakness, numbness, and tingling in the feeds and hands and loss of balance and coordination. He released his 23rd solo album, I Still Do, last month, and he said, uh, I've had quite a lot of pain over the last year. It started with lower back pain and turned into what they call peripheral neuropathy, which is where you feel like you have electric shock going down your leg, and I've had to figure out how to deal with some other things from getting old. He's 71 years old, and he adds that he feels lucky to be alive, considering his history of booze and drug abuse. Because I'm in recovery from alcoholism and addiction to substances, I consider it a great thing to be alive at all. By rights, I should have kicked the bucket a long time ago. For some reason, I was plucked from the jaws of hell and given another chance. So, rock stars, take it easy. You're, uh, you're, you're not unbreakable as we've seen this past year, right? Not, 
any disease, uh, alcoholism, drug addiction that can get to you, it and it will. So, so thank good, good job, Eric Clapton, for for finding that and being and being sober and and um, and hanging on and continuing to provide, provide great music for the world because every year alive makes such a difference to to your fans. So, uh, Pantera reacting to the murder of voice star uh, Christina Grimmie. Um, they've called the music industry to do more to protect uh, musicians after the weekend murder of Christina Grimmie, a former contestant on television show The Voice. A uh, 22-year-old singer was shot while signing autographs after a performance in St. Petersburg, uh, Orlando, Florida on Friday. She was attacked by 26-year-old Kevin James uh, Leobi, um, who then took his own life following a struggle with Grimmie's brother. Pintera say the in, uh, incident brought back memories of the 2004 shooting of guitarist Dimebag Daryl while on sta- stage with his band uh, Damage Plan. I remember that. It was really rough. And I remember Zach Wilde ta- uh, talking out about that and being really hurt, be- I mean, because they were friends. And uh, I talked to him about that in an interview years ago when it uh, around the time it happened. Um and the, the band uh, add that they will uh, hope more will be done to prevent further similar tragedies. But what? What is it, Pantera? What do you want to do? Um, after Dimes of Murder, uh, we all prayed that our industry, club owners and promoters, would do whatever they needed to, to do to protect artists from gun-wielding fanatics. Sadly, that's not the case, and another rising star had to pay the consequences with her life. Something needs to change. Yeah, what is it? What is it, Pantera? What's the answer? We've heard a lot from Orlando over the past week. It's been a really, really rough week in Orlando uh, this past week. And my heart goes out to all those, the family and friends and the people that were lost in uh, the uh, club shooting, all 49 that were taken uh, without purpose and uh, all the others that were injured beyond that. It's a, a really sad story. I watched the Anderson Cooper Anderson Cooper clip. He he called each member out by name and what, who and told a little bit about who they were as a person instead of just a number, and that was really impactful. You should check out that clip if you have a a chance. You do have a chance. Do it. Uh, it's, it's I mean we need to be thinking about these things as on a greater scale, and I've said it to my friends and family before and maybe even on this podcast that I'm afraid of what the world will be like that my kids are growing up in what it is like it is this is the world it's happening and so often we we feel that we've seen it all and it's all happened and there's no way it can be topped and this I mean at the and then the the biggest mass shooting in the United States history is i mean comes around and you're like well okay i guess that bar is being raised right and we as society are being lowered we're taking steps back and we're proving that we don't have the ability to control ourselves and that nowhere is safe i can't send my kids to school without worrying without with with fully knowing that they're going to be safe and that i'll see them at the end of the day that that luxury is gone. Of course, the odds of it happening are slim, but they're they're there. And the fact that we live in a world where that's 
that's possible is really, really disheartening. Pantora doesn't bring up any solutions. They don't have the answer. They want more to protect artists. What about everybody? Everybody needs to be protected. Everybody needs that same inclusion. And and really, we need to get... We need to change the laws. And people should not be able to walk up and buy a semi-automatic handgun where they can kill multiple people in an instant. That doesn't need to be, exist. That doesn't need to exist for the public. And there's a difference between the right to bear arms and being able to uh, pr defend yourself and protect your family and having what is only a weapon that is meant to kill a mass number of people. And this guy was on... I mean, he's he was talked to by the FBI previously. Like, granted, nothing came from that conversation, but... There were in, there were signs, there were signs there, and the and signs are no signs. No one has a need for an AK-47 semi-automatic weapon. That's just not a need that the public needs access to. We need to protect ourselves. I, I keep hearing. I, I by no means I'm an expert. I by no means do have do I have all the answers. And I hear Australia does, and they've been doing it damn well for years. We need to take a page out of their book and fix this problem. That's all I'm going to say about that. Another moment of silence for everyone that was lost. And and I hope we can move forward and grow from this. But I, I just, I know there will be more challenges. All right. How do I, uh, how do I move forward from there? Paul Stanley's talking about a possible KISS reunion with H. Freely. KISS frontman Paul Stanley doesn't believe guitarist Ace Freely will return to the band, despite the pair settling their differences recently. A little Guns N' Roses animosity here, where we never think they're going to come back together, and then and then they do. Freely departed for the second and apparently final time in 2002, and some bad feelings seem to remain until Stanley made a guest appearance on his solo album, Origins Volume 1, released in April. Asked about a reunion, Stanley tells Phone Booth Fighting, I don't see it, and to me, that makes it even better. You can have people in your life, and what they are in your life changes over time. I'm happy to see Ace. We text. He was on the radio last week, and I texted him. I'm listening. It doesn't need to go further than that, but the fact that it's there is a terrific thing. Uh, he describes his contact with Freely as uh, about opening the door again and continues, I'm the one who uh, benefits from it. I don't want to go through life thinking, what if I'd done this? Uh, I want to face everything and see where it takes me. So uh, we'll see if uh, that reunion happens. It sounds like, you know, one step at a time, right? I mean, they don't want to put the cart before the horse, but at the end of the day, when there's money to be made, it's just, it's always taken, right? It, it's almost always taken. Rare exceptions where it's not taken, where you're Pink Floyd and offered a billion dollars to reunite, and you say, nah, that's okay. We're, we're cool. We, uh, we'll do that one uh, Live Aid show, and that'll be it. Turned out a billion dollars. Why not? But generally, there's a big, when there's a uh, demand, there will be supply. It's just a matter of time. All right. Uh, any other news stories that um, that we need to hit? Let me take a look. Uh, I think that's 
I think that's really a good place to um, to wrap it up for for today. Uh, thank you for tuning into this episode of Concert Pipeline, and thank you to We Were Promised Jetpacks for being on the program. I I really appreciate it. And um, and again next week, Max Sabbath. Uh, that's all I'm going to say right now because I'll uh, talk a little bit about more about it next week. Hopefully we'll have Jens back on the program and be able to banter. He's on the other side of the world visiting places with names that I can't even pronounce. I'll stick to uh, probably the easiest one, Greece. He was in Greece. I'll give you a kind of a little lay of the land of where Jens has been you know, recently. So I'd hope to be able to uh, do a podcast with him from the other side of the world. Uh, we we had hoped we had kind of planned on it. I was talking to him through FaceTime, and like the music in the background at the bar that he was at was really. I just like oh, I want that to be the tone of the podcast to be just there in the background, and uh, uh, we weren't able to make it happen last week for for that one. But he's having a good time on his uh, uh, vacation, and uh, glad he is. So. Next week, Max Sabbath. Right now, we're going to play us out with one more song from We Were Promised Jetpacks, and this is Sore Thumb. We'll catch you next time. I don't know what that means to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. Yeah. All right, go, go. In five, four, three.
Thank mm-hmm. you.